and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and we're picking up from an earlier conversation with Maddie Doe, where we discussed her film, The Long Walk. We pick up now discussing a variety of issues relating specifically to her position as the first female director of Lao. I want to say thank you so much for coming on and I fucking love your films and thank you. I woke up at 2 a.m. on Halloween morning to watch The Long Walk <laughs> and watch that beautiful movie and your Q&A afterward that was just stunning and I've been in love with your stuff ever since. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you were able to find a uh, second film because it's distributed on streaming platforms, but only in some countries, not every country. Yeah. And then, of course, the first film is free everywhere. So, And the world just looks so completely different from the other side of the world. And that's what I love about your filmmaking, though, is that your filmmaking makes empathy necessary to the viewing experience as well as a functional part of it. I really feel strongly about that because I'm from both worlds, Ariel. Yeah. I am also a Westerner as well as someone from Southeast Asia. I live here, but I've lived there too. And I know the assumptions that are made about our countries and our regions. And I also know that there are assumptions even made about our films. Like, the expectation when you hear Lao film or Southeast Asian film from a festival is that it's going to be some like bullshit poverty porn where no one can act and like where it's like filmed to be intentionally ugly, <laughs> like yeah. the widest, ugliest, everything in focus shot with like people acting like stiff boards and statues saying lines like they're reading it off the backs of their hands. Like that's the expectation. I almost feel like is it a vicious cycle? Is it because there are like white people choosing those films to show? And so like we make those kinds of films so that they can keep getting selected so that we can go to, the, you know, we yep. can participate in these festivals. Yep. Is it the chicken or the egg? Well, and then you know? politics get made based on the white filmmakers who make those films or who choose those films. Mm -hmm. And yep. people think they know what the thing is and make policy decisions about what's going to happen politically as a global society based on this. And it puts us so out of control. And when I hear young aspiring art house filmmakers that are like, I want to do a film where the girl sells herself into like a human trafficking ring and then her boyfriend is addicted to drugs and, you know, and she's like also like a migrant worker and she suffers so much and she sells herself on the side, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, why? Like, why are you doing this? Because, oh, my favorite filmmaker is so-and-so who's done exactly that kind of poverty porn before. And I'm just like, but what about the story resonates for you? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? Because like, what it sounds like is you're trying to reinvent the same old fodder that everyone keeps force feeding themselves because everyone's told themselves that this is what Southeast Asian films should be. Right. You know what I mean? Which right. for me is just, I find it painful. Yeah. I find it offensive. And I think that uh, we as filmmakers have every right to make our own Southeast Asian film from our own perspectives. 
why can't we just make whatever the fuck kind of film we want to make and give it our own Southeast Asian bias, you know? Exactly. I just want to say amen to that, (laughs) first of all, because I agree with you completely. And I feel like growing up, I was always obsessed with film and going back and forth between Asian countries and watching what was on TV and what I saw that was fabulous and wonderful and weird and just really batshit crazy and amazing and was never represented when I came back to America. No, it's not. Never. Because what's represented is what the people who select or I don't know what you'd call the tastemakers, I guess, choose to put out and to represent. And if we're making films for them and not films for ourselves or for the audiences that we love and really care for, then like, it's a self-cannibalizing cycle almost. You know what I mean? It's like, we shouldn't be making films for people, other people who aren't us deciding what we are. Right. Does that make sense? It totally does. And also, I've had this conversation with a lot of former students as well who've gone on to do graduate work just about this thing in European and American cinema, idolizing the Japanese among Asian film. Oh my God. Yeah. Like they're the greatest and the bestest and the most wonderful Asians. And it really makes Southeast Asians like us feel inferior. It's like, I'm not beautiful because I'm not a kimono wearing Japanese person. Right. Because you're not a porcelain doll. You therefore can't be perfect. And I'm not white. Like a a lot of Japanese girls are very white. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or why can't I be that Asian? As if there's only one kind of Asian, you know? Yeah. There's one Asian and you don't fit. This is like Asian horror, you know? Like, yeah. For a long time, Asian horror meant Japanese, the ring. And then it meant a smattering of some Korean. Yeah. And it was just like, there's so many Asian countries that are not being represented in this Asian horror bubble that you're talking about, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's frustrating. It is changing. I think we do have more of a platform to show our work now, like shutter for instance, and other streaming platforms. And people are starting to understand that, wow, there are other like awesome stories that are not white people too. Like that's pretty good. That's starting to change. And I hope it continues to I heard, I don't know what the real debate is, so maybe we shouldn't talk about it, but I heard something about how Minari was considered a foreign language picture. Oh, I am happy to talk about this because this is very much in my wheelhouse. Minari is both a Korean and American film to me. It's Korean in that it's in Korean language. Yep. The characters are Korean. There's a lot of Korean culture. Yep. But it's obviously an American film. Right. It's made by an American team. It's set in America and it's about a Korean family finding their American dream. Right. So like if the qualification for best picture was that it had to be American, I don't know, you tell me, then I think it's unfair if Minari wasn't up in the running for that. Right. You know? Right. It was excluded at the Golden Globes, I think, from the... Yeah, it was Golden Globes, I heard. That's... Whatever happened there, I have another point to make, which is Parasite. Because Best Picture, and I do think it's an incredible film. I think it's hilarious. It's gorgeous. Why weren't any of the actors up for Best Actress or Best Actor? Like, they were incredible. And I do think that if your film was up for Best Picture, then, like, at least one of the actors should have been up there, too. Do you know what I mean? Like, how can you win Best Picture without having one of the performers at least running for Best Actor or Best Actress? It's a complete package, but 
I was shocked. I was too. Especially with the mom and Jessica. Like Jessica's fantastic. Oh my God. <laughs> she is a powerhouse of a performer in that film. And I was appalled that when the nominations came out, absolutely nothing None was mentioned. And I'm sorry, but if you're going to talk about the fact that Parasite is just the best film overall, and you're not going to talk about how the acting is so amazing, you're not going to talk about all of the other craft within the movie as being worthy of praise as well. Oh, let's just elevate this one Asian to high status because Bong Joon-ho's name looks good on a billboard or something. I really get angry about this. And I think it's wonderful that he won both International Feature and Best Picture, but it was really the ensemble cast that won it, in my opinion. And that's not the way it's treated by the media. Well, the media can't really say very much about it because the cast didn't get Anything. a nomination. Yeah, as they, they should have. nomination. As they should have. And they really should have gotten at least a nomination, even if they didn't win. Okay, that's fine. But like... There's always one token European nomination, right? In the Oscars. Like, Isabel Huppert will get nominated for something. But nobody else from the international community ever gets nominated really, for film work, for the most part. Yeah, I feel like we place so much of our hopes and so much of our like career goals on these kinds of awards as filmmakers. And they're really some of those like unreachable dream types, right? These yeah. kinds of award shows. But it seems so exclusionary for someone like me. Yeah. <laughs> like it's never going to happen. But at the same time, I think we need to make these spaces more inclusive because they should be. Period. I don't understand why they're not, though. It's, it's not like it hurts anything. We're not, it's not forced inclusion. No. You know what I mean? I it's do. Like they're actually doing forced non-inclusion, I guess right. you could say. Forced exclusion. So, yeah. Like, yeah, forced exclusion. So, like, when I say I want for there to be more inclusion, I don't want it to be, like, some frivolous, well, we have a quota. We just have to take this many Asian women because otherwise people are going to get on our butts about it. And we have to, like, at least have one black guy get a speech in or something where people are going to, like, get pissed. Yeah. Not like that. No. Like, nobody's asked for that. But what I'm saying is open your eyes. There are movies from everywhere with extremely talented people who are also not white and who also deserve to be a part of that. You know what I mean? I do. Well, and the other thing that upsets me in the extreme is that the whole way that they even do the Oscar nomination for Best Foreign Language Film is really fucking wrong. Because they ask for nominations from the countries themselves, when a lot of filmmakers are actually persona non grata within their countries. Ah, uh, yeah, like band filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, from a lot of countries, there are wonderful, wonderful films that are never going to be represented on the list as being nominated from that country. That is pretty crazy. I mean, I'm super proud that I was one of them, but you should you know. be because you made a fucking amazing <laughs> but film. Right. What if I were one of these like ultra controversial filmmakers who did some film that the government super hated and I was a banned filmmaker, whoever is in the country board of like cheerleading and selecting those films might just decide to not even consider me just because of that. You're so right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I have thoughts about this and I go, 
back and forth, but also just when I think about the Berlinale that just happened. Yeah, I heard the selection was incredible. I didn't get the Berlinale pass. I didn't watch them, but mm. I heard the selection was incredible this year. Was that right? It was. It was. In general, the films that they got were amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of interviews with some wonderful filmmakers who won awards, but I want to say I'm kind of disappointed that out of a total of 10 awards in both categories, both the competition and the alternative categories, one in 10 on the competition side was by a woman and two in 10 by the other was by a woman. I'm super curious just to play devil's advocate here. Were you able to see them? And do you think that it was? I was. I was. Oh, do you think it was unfair? I do. Okay. I do. I haven't seen them, so I can't say anything. I've seen a lot of the films. I haven't seen every single one of the films, but I have seen Mm -hmm. the one that won the Golden Bear. And yes, I'm Mm -hmm. going to just say it. It is a man from Romania who made a film about slut shaming. That's what the film is about? That is what the film is about. Was it that strange sounding name? Bad luck banging or loony porn. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. Okay. Is it really about self-claiming? Really? Because everybody's talking so highly about this film. It's sort of about that. It's also sort of about the degradation of society and how everybody is basically in a system of outrage and flame wars against each other, etc. But it's also commenting on misogyny and some of the misogyny content doesn't sit right with me. I have complicated thoughts on this. I would be curious to know your perspective on it. When I see it, I'll like write you. Please, please (laughs) do. Because I have a real problem when all of these films that got mentions for the competition section. In fact, I think almost everything in the competition section that was feature length directed by a man. Oh, wow. And everything. But there were definitely qualified. Oh, yeah. Other. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. I interviewed some wonderful female filmmakers whose work I really adored. And I was really rather upset that their work wasn't recognized. But this is part of my issue. And it's also that the juries are made up of four people, one of them a woman. Mm. And this is another thing that drives me nuts is when You talk about representation and in the international community, when they talk about juries that are made up of men and women and the idea of having one woman on a jury, is she really going to be able to convince the three men that they're wrong about that movie that the three dudes really love? Like, have you met men? (laughs) And is she put there as a token or what? Yeah. I worry about that sometimes. I don't think that's always a situation, but you know, it's something that I think of and I worry about like, is this person, this one person there because they want her or him there? Or is it like a token vote where they're like, we need to look good in the public eye. So we have to have this one token POC or woman or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't want, that would be really fucked up if that was a case. Yeah. But having been in a, quite a few juries, I do know deliberation. I've been lucky. Maybe not all juries are like this. I've been super lucky in all my jury experiences that, Sometimes things do get a little heated because people are opinionated, but everybody is really there to share why they loved that film, why they wanted that film, why they selected it. And generally, the selection processes in the in the juries that I've been a part of have been really like everybody's just really there to focus and talk about the merits of the films and the reasons why they want that film so far. And there hasn't 
I have not yet been in Jerry where every, people are like being ultra pushy and aggressive and like, no, it has to be this film. In fact, maybe I'm one of the more pushy ones. <laughs> but I think by nature, you kind of have to be to be a woman in that space. Well, it's just when you feel really feel that a film is super important and you feel like it speaks to you on so many levels and you know that it'll speak to many other people on so many levels too you want to fight for the film yeah and i like i said i'm super fortunate that all the juries that i've been in when like any of us have gotten impassioned about a film that we're fighting for and some other people might not have agreed with us um that they give us that space to try and fight for the film yeah and sometimes win you know i've definitely been on a jury where like a few of us have convinced the others through explanation and feeling and perspective that this film had more than they were than they recalled when they watched it like this film had more than they were thinking about <laughs> and it's got to be kind of strange as well trying to negotiate your space there and make sure that you're not being perceived as that token of anything and fighting against uh, that status however that might have been construed at any time yeah i always worry about that when i get selected but then usually i'm when I'm selected in a jury, it's usually in a jury that's like so obvious that they would want someone like me. Good, good. Right. Because it's like with festivals that I've been a participant in before where it's like, oh, I'm an alumni. My work has been shown there before or I was discovered at this festival and et cetera. And so usually when I'm a jury somewhere, it's like I have some kind of association with it or like in in some cases, it's like, in festivals where like they want to promote work like mine want to sh find filmmakers who make work like mine, even if my work in particular hadn't been shown there, it's like the sorts of films that I make are the sorts of films that they love and respect. It's just that I've never had the occasion to show there yet, you know? Yeah. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. I think it would be yeah. like if I were on jury at like, Fantastic Fest or Fantasia, like nobody would think I was no, a obviously. You know what I mean? Like no obviously. one or Buchan. But then if I were like a jury at some like um, a festival with just like general films, not even art films or f genre films, it would be like, did they just pick Maddie because she was like a woman of color? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> it's like she's a horror filmmaker and an art house filmmaker. Why do they pick her? Yeah. And it's so weird because our world is so complicated with the politics of that. Yeah. I don't know. And how do you even think about those concepts of tokenism now compared to the idea of lack of representation and well you're asking this at a super super appropriate time because last night last night i saw raya and the last dragon in the cinema mm. and it blew my fucking mind like i was ready to like be all like yay asian princess because like you said doesn't matter which kind of Asian you are. When we were kids, Mulan was our princess, even though she was a mainland Chinese story, right? Yeah. Though my dad claims that we had a Mulan in Vietnam too, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, her name's Mulan. I was like, really, dad? I don't know about that. But <laughs> even my dad, like Mulan is his princess, right? And we grew up, we never see Asians as protagonists. They're always like, Unless it's in some kind of kung fu martial arts, mm -hmm. wuxia style, 
or like ninja film. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. some action film. And even then, like they don't make our Asian characters terribly complex. They're there to punch someone in the face or kick really fucking high, you yeah. know? <laughs> but like to have that like ultra like complex protagonist that carries a film that has like insane character arcs. When, when, when have you seen that? with an Asian face that wasn't the sidekick, that wasn't just a background character, that wasn't just a minor character. And don't say Crazy Rich Asians. I am happy that Crazy Rich Asians is a Hollywood film, a Western blockbuster type type film that featured an all Asian cast. That was amazing. I love that, okay? But it didn't feel real, it didn't feel true, and it had all those stereotypes where like all all of the Singaporeans are just crazy, rich mm-hmm. Chinese people. And it, it just didn't feel authentic to me. It was still playing off of a lot of stereotypes. And I went to see Raya and I didn't realize just how my entire life, I had never seen a Southeast Asian as a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like I can't recall in an American film, in an American studio film, a Southeast Asian that is a main protagonist. And this was a film where Every character was a tan, brown-skinned Asian. Every character. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I like stopped breathing for a second because I was like, they're all us. All of them. And there were a lot of like Westerners who were criticizing that like because it was this like fusion of cultures and they were taking like little details from every ASEAN country, but then like mis- mixing it up and mishmashing it up, that it was disrespectful and that it wasn't representation and that it wasn't authentic. I'm like, Kumandra is not a real fucking place, people. It's fictional. I love that I can watch Raya with my friends from all over Southeast Asia, like all of my Southeast Asian friends. And they all have something that they're like, oh, that's ours. Oh, that's, you know, that's Philippines. Oh, that's Malaysia. Oh my God, that's Thailand. And we see our foods and our some of our words that are massacred on <laughs> like really mispronounced, but that's okay. They tried. We see our foods, our textiles, our fabrics, our different like ethnic costumes made to be like more fantastical and like different, you know? And it was magical, Ariel. I cried. I was like, I can't believe that I'm seeing Southeast Asia being represented in a fantasy world, in a fantasy land. And they look like us. They dress a lot like us. They fight like us even. They don't fight like samurais and they don't fight like wuxia martial artists from old vintage Chinese movies. Yeah. No, like they don't, they don't fight like that. And they even eat like us and they have the same societal problems that we have. And they believe in the same legends that we believe in. In fact, the Lao subtitles for the dragons, they called them Naga. They didn't call them dragon. Wow. Which is like, insane for us because there is naga worship that happens here in this region i mean you've seen our temples right like there's nagas dragons everywhere and i've never seen anything like that in my life and it almost made me like really offended that there were these western critics and western commentators that were like saying all these things like they were trying to make the decision for me a southeast asian girl living in (sighs) southeast asia 
that I should be pissed that there wasn't enough representation and not enough authenticity. And I'm just like, I'm Southeast Asian living in Southeast Asia. And I fucking love this film. Yeah. And so did everyone in my audience. Yeah. Who like screamed when that little baby came out and she was named Noi, which so many Southeast Asian countries have this little nickname for very small children. Yeah. It's like Thailand, Laos, I believe maybe Cambodia and the Philippines use Noi for like little children. <laughs> That's cool. I've read in other interviews that you sort of feel like you always have the weight of the world on your shoulders and that you're always having to defend your title of being and living up to that stamp on your forehead that says first female filmmaker in Lao. But I also just can't believe the incredible arrogance of these assholes around you who still just underestimate you because they assume because you're self-taught or because you're a woman or because you're from Laos. I think in this case, it was because I was from Laos. I'm not even sure. I don't think it was because I was a woman per se. I almost think that it was just because he didn't take us seriously because we're like this small country that isn't really, you know, we're not that known for cinema or for much in that besides our silk and rice and beer. Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> I, I wonder if it's that. I have no confirmation. No. And you're never going to get it. You'll never know. And I'll never get it. But he claimed it wasn't because I didn't have a school background. He claimed it wasn't that. He was like, oh, I work with plenty of people who are self-taught. It's not that. It's just you really don't speak the language of cinema. And that's almost more of an affront. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I think that's more of an affront and more offensive, actually. Because then he's saying, I don't have the talent or the intuition, right? If it's not the fact that I don't have schooling yeah. or background. Yeah, when that is in fact exactly what you do have and exactly what I like about your work. So screw that guy. Thank you. Thank you again so much and I'll talk to you later. All right, Ariel, I'll talk to you later. Bye, Maddie. Bye. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Mm-hmm.